This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. The feeling of fall and fresh TV is in the air. It's episode 386 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. One of my favorite times of year because new shows are coming out, both on streaming and network and cable TV. It's just a wonderful time if you're a TV fan. You're going to dive in headfirst to that, starting with season four, the final season of Goliath on Amazon Prime Video. And I'm so happy I got a chance to talk to the cast this week about the show, you'll hear from Billy Bob Thornton, Nina Arianda. You'll also hear from Jenna Malone, Tanya Ramonde, Brandon Scott, all about the big final season, the big final showdown dealing with the opioid crisis. So many wonderful things to talk to the cast about, about this incredible show. Also, Arif Zahir joins me this week. He's the new voice of Cleveland Brown on Family Guy. I'll talk to him about you know how he got the role and and what it's been like working on the show in its 21st season. Not to mention, I've got a ton of reviews for you this week. We'll talk Doom Patrol. Going to talk about Star Wars Visions as well. And some very controversial comments to talk about in nerd news. Things might get ugly. Not going to lie, but that's for later on for now. Let's dive in. The final season of Goliath, now available on Amazon Prime Video. Going to talk to the cast next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Griffin Newman from The Tick, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Starting off our big coverage of the fall TV season, which also involves streaming in a big way because the final season of Goliath is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video, and this one's going to be a big one, taking on the opioid crisis. And I think that this is a show you're really, really going to love. If you've been watching it for years, you already do. If you haven't, you, you could dive right in. To this season and it's going to be hugely hugely interesting and tackle some major issues plus you want to talk about why this show is nerdy all you have to do is watch the first couple of episodes and you'll find out why because there's some trippy stuff going on here but i was very lucky to be able to chat with the cast of the show right before the premiere so this is all going to be spoiler free by the way so i want to kick things off the right way and talk to star billy bob thornton about playing billy mcbride so hear from billy bob Mr. Billy Bob Thornton, how are you doing today? Good, man. I love the name of your show. Appreciate. It. I love the hat. So I mean, I think the hat's better than the name of the show, though. I'm digging it. <laughs> so uh, Billy McBride, really cool under pressure as always. But I mean, you have a near death experience. It's hard not to be changed by that, right? So where is he at mentally heading into this season? Probably knows that he has to look for who he is more than ever, but also more confused about how he would start that process than ever. That's pretty, yeah, that's exactly how you put it. I, I find it interesting, though. He's got so many important people in his life. Who would you say is the most important person in his life right now? His daughter, for sure. Kind of expand on how complicated that relationship is going into the season. 
Well, I think in the beginning, you know, I think she probably felt more like the parent because here I was this alcoholic who's always ruining his life, you know, every other week. So there was too much pressure on, on her to pull him along and make him be a father. And as it turns out, he sees her going down the same path possibly that he did. And that's what wakes him up. Absolutely. You faced some pretty tough customers in these previous three seasons and had some great guest stars on the show. And this season, you get to square off with J.K. Simmons. So what was it like working with him on this season? And talk about that tension in those scenes between Billy and George Sachs. Yeah, J.K. and I had only done one thing together. and That was in the mid-2000s on a movie called The Astronaut Farmer. He had one scene in that with me. So that was the only experience we had working together. But then when I was told that he was cast as my adversary, I thought, well, that's really good because when you have an adversary, you want someone to push against, you know, and you need someone who can push back. Otherwise, you can't give it everything you need to. And I knew that JK was up for that task. And we didn't have a lot of scenes together, but, you know, anytime you have very few scenes with someone and yet they make an impact, sometimes they're more powerful than the people you're with every day. You know, you, you have to drop the idea in a scene that you're friends and that you like each other sometimes. Uh, that's one of the hardest things for an actor. It's like overcome the fact that you either like them or don't like them or whatever it is in real life and just do what's asked of you. The good news is, is that JK had no problem looking me in the eye and telling me to, you know. <laughs> and so I had no problem telling him that back. <laughs> well, it worked out beautifully then. <laughs> exactly. But then, you know, when, when they call cut, it's like the old cartoon with the roadrunner and the, I mean, the coyote and the sheepdog, they clock in, Hey Sam, Hey Joe. And then they go fight each other all day and then clock out. That's perfect. I love that. What a great comparison. I love it. Getting a little bit more serious though. The opioid crisis, obviously a big topic in society right now it has been for a few years. How do you feel like the show kind of balances telling your story within the show, but also shedding light onto the larger issue. I think it does a really good job of it, actually. I mean, we were very happy to be telling this story because it is a terrible crisis. And I've had friends who have fallen victim to the opioid crisis. So it was personal for me. I loved sticking the knife in every chance I got. I'm not real fond, and I don't think anybody is really, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's fond of people killing people legally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not at all. It's good to be able to broach a topic like this. And, you know, I've said to friends of mine, maybe this show will be polarizing, you know, because of, you know, with the pandemic and the pharmaceutical companies and all that kind of stuff, you know, and people are very divided right now. But that's okay by me, because if you're stirring people up, you're doing something right. Darn right. And you'll see it on Amazon Prime Video this Friday, September 24th. B Billy Bob Thornton, thank you so much, man. And it's, it's an honor. Thanks a lot, man. And if you're going to talk about Billy, you got to talk about Patty as well. So that's why I got a chance to talk to Nina Arianda about what's going on with Patty this season. She had some really interesting insights, too. Check it out. Nina, how are you doing today? Thanks for doing this. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Patty's really gone through a lot, especially last season. A lot of that was actually really, really personal. So how much of that is she carrying into this season? I would say she's carrying quite a bit. We kind of enter the season with Patty having and dealing with a personal crisis and working through that throughout the season. So it seems like she's making a real name for herself now. We've got the big law firm going on. And then Billy shows up for pretty much the, maybe the biggest case in the firm's history. So how much pressure is that going to put on their relationship? I think it's going to put, I think it puts some pressure on them. And I think it kind of makes, even though Patty loves Billy, I think she perchance might doubt, is she able to be successful without Billy by her side? Can she go at it alone? So there's moments of self-doubt with his presence coming into the firm. And speaking of the firm, I mean, being a new lawyer in such a big shot environment, I mean, that can't be easy. So could this also create some challenges for her this season and even some tension as well? Oh, I think so. Certainly there's a part of her that desperately wants to fit in. And then there's another part of her that I think really finally in this fourth season owns her talents and unapologetically kind of appreciates her own abilities. So it's, it's a little bit of both. 
I know that there's a lot of respect level there between between Billy and between Patty, but is that difficult for her at times to have that respect just because of who Billy is, or is it or is it so mutual and they've been through so much together that it's just always there regardless? Yeah, I think that the difference is it's kind of between dating somebody and having unconditional love, you know? It's, <laughs> when you have unconditional love, you can go away, you can come back and just there's a certain, there's a certainty there. You know, no one's flirting around here. They're kind of an old married couple in a way. So warts and all. I hear that. I love it. I love it. Now, this series, the series has tackled some pretty tough subjects over the years. This, of course, the opioid crisis being one of them. But there's also quite a few moments of humor and lightheartedness. Patty, a huge part of that, as far as I'm concerned, throughout the season. So how important is that, though, to find that balance in the show between those darker moments and just the nat- someone's natural personality coming out? Sure. I think that you can't really appreciate the seriousness. You can't appreciate the darkness if you don't have a little bit of relief and uh, vice versa. So there's a beautiful balance in this show throughout the seasons. And I think this season also is no exception. Nina, before I let you go, you've had some incredible, I mean, just incredible guest stars on this show over the past years. What's it like having somebody like J.K. Simmons come on for this season and bring that energy? Yeah, it's it's nerve wracking. You get starstruck at every turn. I mean, being in the room, you can imagine being in the room with J.K. Simmons and Bruce Stern at the same time. I mean, it makes you want to faint sometimes. No doubt about it. Well, hopefully nobody will faint while they're watching these because we want you to binge them all at once. The final season of Goliath on Amazon Prime Video begins right. Friday, September 24th. Nina, thank you so much for joining me and taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. We can't talk about Goliath without talking about the other woman in Billy's life. That is Brittany, played by Tanya Ramonde. And I just loved her energy in general when she's talking about the show. Got to ask her some tough, tough questions, too. So listen for yourself. Hey, Tanya, how you doing? What's up? How are you? Doing pretty good. So final season of Goliath. Very, very exciting. But I feel like the relationship between Billy and Brittany is definitely a complicated one. Would you say they even really know how they would define it, even heading into this season? That's a good question. Probably not. I mean, they're like weirdly like dependent on 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 each other in the way that like a like a mother and a son would be. We both like switch roles a lot. Like he's often helping her when she needs help, and then she's giving him advice and giving him a hard time when he can't get out of something. She's like a surrogate mom to him sometimes, but also his daughter. It's complicated. It's really complicated. Like life, I guess. Oh, no doubt about that. It's a, it's a great picture of life. It's, it's, yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. It's funny you mentioned that dependency because when we start out this season, there's there's quite a bit of distance between the two of them. So do you th- is that difficult for Brittany or is that maybe good for her a little bit in a way? I think it's both. It's probably long-term good for her, but maybe this is like the greatest love story she's ever lived in terms of like love and friendship love. And yet, you know, who knows? I think they're like cosmic, like souls that are like knew each other in a, in a different lifetime. And if life would have worked out differently, they could be friends forever and maybe they will be, but, but it's tough when you have somebody that has so many demons and, and you're the only person that truly knows what they're made of deep down that takes a toll on you. So I think Brittany in this year is starting to realize that in order for her to live her life, she needs to separate herself a little bit. And, and that's sad for her, definitely. So it's bittersweet. That's deep. That's yeah, really deep. It sucks. It's hard. And, and it's going to be even harder because you mentioned like he's kind of like she's kind of like the go between between mm-hmm. Billy and his daughter. Of course, that's a rocky relationship. So would you say that's difficult for her? Or do you feel like that she feels like that's something she needs to do for him? Probably both. That's very astute. I think it's both. I think like anything, there's like two sides of the coin. I think she feels like responsible for Billy's daughter and she's she's kind of like the cool aunt that can like handle stuff and she likes the cool aunt being responsible for in ways that Billy can never be. But at the same time, it's a, that's a huge that's a huge responsibility. That's a huge toll. And it's also not her job. Right. If she does it anyway. So, you know, I mean, we often do things that we think are right that hurt us in the long run, but they're meant for each other in a certain way. And and I think, you know, one of the reasons they're both still alive is because they're in each other's life. I would say that's about right. Yeah, especially for him. That's for sure. So before I let you go, Tanya, when we finally see Brittany this season, Billy's, I mean, he's really in the thick of it, right? And then Patty is as well. So without spoiling anything, of course, how far will she go to kind of help him out? 
I mean, you know, the, what they're doing, investigating these cases is super dangerous. So, I mean, like the, the, the line, the legal line is very tenuous. Um, if you're a PI and you're uncovering a case and the bad guys that you're trying to take down are like the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world, you know that like things can get kind of sticky. But she puts herself on the line for him. You know, she always has from the beginning. So I think the season is really a lesson of like, ah, is this how, what do I do for myself? Can I really, can I keep doing this? Is How dangerous is it going to get? And what's, you know, how far will you go for friendship? No doubt about that. Really quickly, how much are you going to miss this show? So much. Stop reminding me. I'm so sad. I feel <laughs> like I'm breaking up with a boyfriend that I, I'm like still in love with, you know? Trying not, try not to make you cry, I swear. But yeah. you, you, maybe you guys will. September 24th this Friday, Amazon Prime Video. That's when it all comes to an end for Goliath. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me for today. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. One of the new faces you're going to see on Goliath this season is Sam, who is played by Jenna Malone. So I really wanted to ask her about her character that we don't really know a ton about. So, hey, let's hear what she'll tell us. Hey, Jenna, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, one of the things I actually love about Sam is that we almost can't say anything about her without spoiling anything because she's so interesting. She's such a deep character. What were your yeah, first she's impressions got her hands of her? In a lot of different pots, too. No doubt. So, what were your first impressions of her when you first started diving in? My first impressions are this is going to be a very complex, hard to play character. It has to be me. I think I know how to do this. Thank you for hiring me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that works out just fine. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of pressure on her, though. Her dad started the firm, and, and, and now she's got this huge case and huge responsibility. Is that pressure the thing that kind of drives her the most, or you think it's something else? I mean, there's all you can always dive as deep as you'd like. So any, you know... Basically, we've encountered Sam at the end of uh, one of her parents' life. You know, her father passes and you inherit a love language from your parents. You know, you learn how to be loved. You learn how to be seen. You learn how to feel supported by the way that they've languaged to you. So in her language, it's very much based on appearances and uh, responsibility and success in the forms of the legal world. And very much not based on, you know, taking care of your body and being a good human. And so it's, it, she's just in a different, in a different place. Um, but then also is dealing with her own, you know, medical condition of dealing with chronic, chronic pain that can be quite debilitating. So it's, it's very interesting for, it was interesting for me as an actor. And then also a mother, I felt like I was constantly Samantha's ally where I was like, cause she's in this world, right. It's very, you know, a, a physical pain body. And then she's entering in the legal world, which is like really high stakes, high pressure, mm -hmm. high, you know, everything. And they, they just did not gel. So I was constantly having to be her ally in the sense of like, no, she's not going to prosecute standing up. No, no, no. She's sitting down. Like, <laughs> We're not doing that today. We're going to do something different. This is who, how, this is who she is. So I, I felt like I got to be her ally a lot, which was really cute. Do you think there's going to be, again, we're not going to spoil anything, but do you think there's going to be a little 50-50 from fans that are watching this thing here? Maybe some that are on Sam's side, maybe some not so much? I hope so. I mean, those are always the most interesting characters for me, the ones that I, they just have so many layers. And there is a lot, It's it, it requires a critical thinking brain to really be able to hold them, you know? No doubt about that. So what can you tell us about how Sam feels about Billy McBride? I think that she's really drawn to him. I think like anyone, he's, you know, sort of house on fire in a lot of ways where there's just like so much going on and he's so smart and so good at what he does, but it's always such deep chaos ensues. Yeah, I think that they, they, they become pretty good friends, you know? Really quickly, Jenna, did you think in a million years that you were going to be singing on the show this season? No, I didn't. But, you know, I like singing, so it was super fun. <laughs> and I thought you did quite well, so it works okay. out. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys can see for yourself, Goliath Season 4 premieres on Amazon Prime Video, Friday, September 24th. Jenna, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. <laughs> and finally, speaking of singing, Jenna's duet partner on the show, ironically enough, Brandon Scott, who plays... Rob Bettencorn, another new character on the show this season. Let's see if he'll tell us a little bit more about what he's, what he's going to have going on. James, hey, what are we getting down and nerdy about? Oh, it's, it's you, man. It's you <laughs> in this final season, man. You finally got a chance to dive into this show, be a part of it. As a matter of fact, hey, Rob seems to be a pretty big fan of Billy's. I'm not spoiling anything there <laughs> or anything, but 
Now, yeah. is it just his reputation or is it something else? I mean, you know, it's 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 his reputation. It's I think it it taps into who you know maybe Rob wishes he could be, you know, and maybe Rob can't. I mean, no one can be Billy, but Rob, you know, it's, it it resets his compass. Let's say that on a direction that he probably originally, when he went into law, was headed, then lost his way a bit, and you know, now Billy comes in there, shakes things up, and Rob is like, "Yeah, I'm game. Let's do it." All right, all right. So we kind of, I think we find out as the season goes along how deep Rob's character really is because this is more than just a job for him. This is more than just yeah. a case for him. So how much can you tease for us about just how personal this is? It's about the opioid industry, and I can tease that Rob personally, his character personally knows someone who uh, died from uh, opioid overdose. And so that's one of the uh, initial things that drives and motivates him. But then other things happen that, again, just awaken him to um, the reality, the like loss of illusion of what the, um, the world he thought he was uh, involved in. Absolutely. The dynamic of the firm itself, I think, is a really, really interesting one in this season. How would you describe yeah. it? Complex as hell. I mean, <laughs> yeah, 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 I think yeah, the relationships are um, are wonderfully nuanced and difficult, and everyone I think is is dealing with pain, but also it's just an awkward workplace. I would say. It's a, I think it's an awkward place to work. So I think when people see it, they'll also be like, why, why is everyone still there? I awful. felt awkward, and I, I don't even work there, man. Exactly. You guys did a great job with that. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, this is obviously a really tough case. Like you were just saying, there's a lot of different layers to it. So how much do you feel this case is ultimately going to affect Rob in the long run? This particular, I think the experience of this case in the long run, I, I, I think, again, it's it resets Rob's moral compass. And uh, hopefully that doesn't give away too much. But I think that uh, this is the, the case and Billy and the circumstances as tragic as they are that uh, – Rob needed to probably uh, get out of the situation that he was stuck in and to also hopefully I see Rob he's going on and doing wonderful things for uh, for uh, for people really helping people in a way that he wasn't able to before. Brandon, before I got you, before I let you go, since I asked Jenna, I have to ask you rate your duet on a scale of one to ten. I haven't heard it yet. Oh, you haven't heard it. Oh, I haven't heard man. it. I, I'm going to say 11. I mean, like, oh, it, yes. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't heard it, but he's very confident. I can't. I, I, I'm confident it's karaoke gold. <laughs> I agree with that. And you guys will hear it well on Friday, September the 24th on Amazon Prime Video. Can't wait. <laughs> Season four of Goliath. Brandon, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. Hey, thanks, James. Take it easy, man. Not just a great singer, but a little bit of a tap dancer there as well. So you can hear the cast. Nobody wants to give away. Anything about this final season of Goliath, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video, I will tell you that it is definitely a cool and intense story. J.K. Simmons and Billy Bob Thornton are fantastic in the series. And I think you'll love how the show actually adds extra layers to like a Rob Betancourt character and and two other characters like Brittany that are that have been around for a while as well. It's just the speed in which this is done to me, is incredible. I'm just going to be sad to see this series go. Of course, Goliath, season four, the final season, now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. That's going to do it for my chat with the cast of Goliath, talking about the final season on Amazon Prime Video. Up next, going to dive into the world of Star Wars and the show that everybody seems to be talking about, Star Wars Visions. I'll give you my review next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Galaxy Far, Far Away finally makes it to the realm of anime. Star Wars Visions is finally here on Disney Plus, and it is basically this series of nine animated shorts from several different animation companies in Japan that are based in the Star Wars universe, but really has unique unique style all their own. And I'm not going to sit here and be the guy that runs down all of these and tries to spoil anything. So I'm going to give you overall impressions, and I'll highlight a few of these that I really, really dug. Overall impressions are this. Visually, they're all stunning. If you love anime, you're going to love these, I think, automatically, just based on the visuals of them. They all had their own unique style. They were all visually stunning in their own way. And I think the fact that they did have different styles and it wasn't just one sort of animation style, even the ones that were done by the same studios, didn't feel like they had the same animation styles in the two shorts that they did. I say shorts, one of them was closer to an episode of, like, say, a sitcom would be. I think it was, like, 23, 24 minutes long or something like that. And then some of them were on the shorter end as well, closer to, like, the 10-minute mark, which I also thought was really, really neat. Because there's also a, okay, we have a lot more of a story to tell in this, and then there were some that really didn't drag it out. They just got right to the point and didn't really have any moments where... I don't want to say wasted moments because that's probably not a fair assessment, but kept it on brand on story the entire time, which I really, really appreciated. And some of them were, you know, you had some that were deep. You had some that were a little more fun, like Tatooine Rhapsody, I think, was one that was just straight up fun that I think people really enjoy. T.O.B. One, it was another one that I thought was was one that was just of a fun, more fun episode. And then you've got stuff that's a little bit more hardcore and serious, like The Duel, which was one of my favorites, by the way, especially visually. I really loved the animation style in The Duel, but it it felt like it had a little bit more of a samurai type edge, like almost a, like with maybe a little bit of wood, The Witcher mixed in, but in a Star Wars universe type sense. So I thought that that was really, really neat. Plus, there was like this like lightsaber, like Sith lightsaber umbrella almost type thing that was crazy with the villain in that short. That was really, really cool. But again, I'm not really going to spoil anything. Another one that was really, really good for me, especially visually, was the twins. These twins that were basically born, that were bred by the Empire to serve a, let's just say, higher purpose. Okay? But maybe they don't necessarily see eye to eye in their older years. And I like that there's a little bit of a twist in that one as well. So visually, I thought that one was really, really striking. I thought the story was interesting. Another one's the Ninth Jedi, which basically follows a forge master of lightsabers. So a lightsaber smith, as it were. And this, again, I really can't say more or without really spoiling anything about this, but the story was so deep and so good. It almost feels like it could be a show all of its own. And that's not saying that some of these might not be. If you end up liking these, and you do you tweet enough about it and you post enough about something, then things can start happening. And you, you know how that goes. Once something's popular on social media, you can have a life all its own. So and that's one that I've seen talked about by a lot of fans. And I just and the characters in there just in general, I thought were really, really likable. But that's the great thing about these is that I think I liked all the ones that I liked, I liked for different reasons. Like, like you see Kara in The Ninth Jedi, and, and she's a character that you can gravitate towards. And then you see the just the striking visuals of the duel, but also the fact that there was a little bit of a twist in that one as well. Keep a close eye on the color of the lightsabers in that one, is all I'm saying. So, But then at the same time, now this, these were by no means perfect, okay? There was definitely some forced fan service in this, using some very popular lines from previous Star Wars projects that you're going to recognize from those projects that at times felt like they were forced in to remind you that this was still Star Wars. That One of the things that these that some of these shorts did very well is they didn't try too hard to act like they're Star Wars, and they just were Star Wars, if that makes sense. 
Like, you're not trained. You don't have to tell me by throwing a familiar phrase in there that, oh, that's right. I'm watching something that's based in the Star Wars universe. You just base your story within that universe and put certain things and elements in there that make it a Star Wars short or series, whatever you want to call it. And it just happens naturally. For some of these, I felt like lines were thrown in there to, re- to remind you, oh, by the way, this is a Star Wars short. And I'm not going to name names or anything like that because I think that's super unfair. But more than one of these shorts was definitely guilty of that. Also, I felt like there were some similar themes in some of these shorts. And I'm and again, I'm not sure how much they talked. And I'm not even sure that they realized that they were doing it. And again, I don't want to say say what these themes are because if you, I want you to watch them and be surprised for yourself. I know they've been out for a couple days, but I'm not going to put that kind of pressure on you to binge watch. Maybe the kids didn't let you have the TV or something. I'm not going to be that guy that spoils it for you. So there were some similar themes. I will say that something like Tatooine Rhapsody, not to, not to go on that one again, that one kind of definitely stood on its own a little bit more. For one of them, the duel stood on its own as well. And those were one of the first two that were a part of this. So, and I think to a certain degree, the village bride did as well. That was also a pretty interesting story. And another one that was really visually stunning, stunning that I really, really liked. But, and then uh, that's really my only criticisms. And I don't even think those are, that's a huge criticism per se is they, I mean, you're going to have a little bit of fan service anyway. I thought that they could have done without that in some of these, but it kind of definitely made me want more. Of this, I don't know if they're planning on having more from Star Wars Visions or not, or if this was kind of like dipping your toe in the water to check the temperature to see if we want to make a series out of one of these things. But you also have to be careful what you wish for, too, because these shorts are designed the way they are for a reason. And does it work in a vacuum? Or is this a story you can flesh out a little bit more and find out a little bit more about? And you could also screw it up by doing that, too. The perfection might have been in the bubble of what they were working with inside the animated shorts. So there's a double-edged sword there that you that you got to be careful about. But overall, I thought that this, this was a very, very worthwhile project for Star Wars Visions that I do hope continues in some capacity, not necessarily continuing on these stories. You could have a whole new brand of stories for this next round if they wanted to go ahead and continue with Star Wars Visions. But I think anime is a perfect venue for Star Wars, you give me more unique Star Wars storytelling, and I'm going to be all up for that. So if you haven't yet, make sure you're watching Star Wars Villains, I mean, excuse me, Star Wars Visions, which is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Star Wars Visions. Up next, going to head to Season 3 of Doom Patrol. It premiered this week on HBO Max, and I'll talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is April Bowlby from DC's Doom Patrol, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The weirdest show on television is back on HBO Max. Season 3 of Doom Patrol has premiered. I'm going to give you kind of a little bit of a spoiler-ish review of this premiere because the first three episodes are out, so I want to talk more spoilers for the first episode and not the next two after that, just in case you haven't gotten a chance to watch ahead at all. So what I'm looking at here is the aftermath of this past season. Biggest spoiler I'm going to give you, and I'm not sure that I can really talk about this without prefacing this, is that Chief is dead. Niles Calder is finally dead. It has happened, and as you can imagine, this first episode really deals with the range of emotions over that. You know, of course, like Cliff is happy. Rita is very much conflicted. About the whole thing. But I kind of think they're all conflicted. That's the one thing about this group, right? Outwardly, what they show you sometimes is not always what they're feeling inside. And that's part of, you know, what makes them such a unique group, quite frankly. Because, you know, Larry feels the same way. Vic, of course, to a certain degree. And the only one that's really super sad, of course, is Dorothy. Because that's his daughter. And she's young. And she, I think, to a certain degree, feels responsible. Not just for for what happened to her father, but for what happened to Jane as well. And we see that Jane, the beginning of this episode, is still kind of out of it. And that's the best way I could possibly describe it. But I love how they get into Jane's head and and kind of give us a picture of how she's sort of trapped in there and how she's trying to get out, for the lack of a better way 
of putting it. But it's funny because the, the, the episode then shifts to kind of Chief trying to either make things right or make things so they'll all be okay after his death. I mean, you see what he leaves Rita with that key and saying that, you know, it's a secret and if you'll need it, you'll know kind of thing. Also trying to make things right with, with Cliff and, and with his daughter and everything. And I don't think Cliff will ever forgive him, though. And yeah, part of me can't really blame him. But it's interesting because Larry's story seems to be different, as it usually is. Because Larry's still trying to deal with the terms of his own demons and his family's family history and things like that. And what we sort of see as the episode starts to go on is everybody kind of going off on their own to figure out how to, I don't know if saying how to be happy is the right way of putting it, but how to live their lives maybe is the best way. And Rita seems to be the only one that's really kind of left behind to deal with everything. And then she kind of doesn't because that's, you know, the Doom Patrol way sometimes. And what I love is what we see at the end is when, and again, maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler, when Madame Rogue shows up. I really love that entrance that she makes and that, you know, stupid play that they had about about the team. And, you know, Rita was supposed to be a part of that. And it seemed like she didn't want to really have anything to do with it because it was a smack in the face to not only her, but everybody on the team, quite frankly. So when Madame Rogue shows up and, of course, she's looking for Niles Calder and I'm thinking she's going to be pretty disappointed when she finds out uh, what happened to old Niles there and just her entrance, she is going to fit in so well on the show because it was so off the wall and bonkers and you almost don't know what to make of her when she comes on screen. But if you've been watching Doom Patrol long enough, I think you kind of, you know, expect that at this point, right? I don't think you could really expect anything else with her showing up and, and we get to see how that kind of plays out in the next couple of episodes that have already been released as well. But it's fun. it's interesting that you're kind of dividing the team early on and thinking that Chief's death is some sort of interesting and weird closure when at the same time it's really not. And then they sort of find that out slowly but surely as things progress and maybe how much that they need each other as well, quite frankly. So... We know what the new threat is this season. We know that everybody has their own journey to still go on. But this show has always done such a brilliant job at blending those two things. Everybody has their own shit to deal with. That is one aspect of this that is never out of sight. And I love that. But then there's also like, okay, well, here's how you're going to have to save the world while you're dealing with all of that. And that's real life, isn't it? That's one of the things I love about the show. That's real life. We all have our own shit to deal with, right? But then there's always something out there that is this big thing that you just have to handle, either for yourself, for your family, for your job, whatever, for your survival, for a better way of putting it, right? You have to deal with this big thing sometimes, and it's not going to wait for you to have everything together, right? And you just have to deal with it, and hopefully you get to deal with it with a group of people that support you just like we have in the Doom Patrol. They might be an eccentric bunch. They might be messed up and they might, you know, at times just flat out not know what they're doing or how to work together. But it always seems to come together in the end. Will it this season? Maybe, maybe not. We'll have to see, right? That's one of the beauty parts of this whole thing. But Madame Rogue is definitely not someone that you want to mess with. I don't think. And and we'll have to see how that plays out in future episodes. But the first few episodes of Doom Patrol, Season 3 on HBO Max, pretty darn good. The premiere, I thought, really set the tone for a lot of different things and sets the paths for each character and, you know, maybe a path forward for a couple of them as well to kind of let go of some stuff from their past. And I think that that's kind of what we want to see as fans, right? Especially for Larry. I want to see Larry get that closure. I want to see Rita find that confidence, like really find that confidence in herself. I want Cliff to be okay. I think we've just built up that kind of love for these characters and wanting to see them find that path at the end of the tunnel. So another amazing start to a season for Doom Patrol on HBO Max. I'm certainly going to be looking forward 
to the rest of these episodes, and I know you are as well. Make sure you're checking back for more coverage of the other episodes, by the way, on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. That's going to do it for my spoiler kind of-ish review of Doom Patrol <laughs> Season 3, the premiere anyway. Up next, how about we talk about Family Guy with Arif Zahir, the new voice of Cleveland Browns, going to join me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Patrick Megan. I'm an executive producer at Family Guy, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You've heard me talk about it on the show before. Family Guy returning for its 75th season on Fox coming up on September the 26th. I kid. I think it's like 21st season coming up. But there's going to be a new voice of Cleveland Brown, and I'm so excited to be talking to him this week. It's Arif Zahir. Arif, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. Ah, there it is. (laughs) So before we actually talk about your path, to the role. I heard you talk in a couple of different interviews about how, you know, you do a bunch of, you did a bunch of different voices from the show for like friends and things like that. So what was it about family guy in general that you just love so much that kind of gets you started on this whole thing? So from Cleveland's call of duty is kind of like how I like to refer to what you were doing there to, to actually becoming the voice of Cleveland Brown on the show. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that day that you got that role and what that conversation was like. Oh man, I didn't believe it. Like, um, so I had, I had been auditioning for about, you know, about a month and I had initially, I got a call and I sent it straight to voicemail because it was just like, you know, random LA number. And I was like, ah, it's probably, you know, scammer or something. No doubt. Yeah. The voicemail is, Hey Rick, it's Rich Appel from Family Guys. When I was like, Oh my God, it scrambled. (laughs) Called him right back before I even finished the email. I mean, the voicemail. And he was like, yeah, we want to, want to hop on Zoom real quick. So he gave me a Zoom link and it was Alex Sulkin and Rich the two uh, uh, producers and they broke the news to me there. And of course I was looking at the screen and I was going, well, thank you. Thank you. I wanted to jump up and scream and go, yeah. But I was like, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And the second the call ended, oh my God, I screamed so loud. Told all my roommates, called my mom. My mom almost like had a heart attack. You did not feel real, man. So I'm just really blessed to have got this opportunity. You had to be kind of tempted, right? To like turn your camera off for a second. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm having technical difficulties. Just kind of like your little freak out moment there for a second. <laughs> 100%. That's what I would have done, man, for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> this is a series and a cast been together for, a, I mean, a long time. So did you kind of feel any pressure being the new guy in that group, but also kind of becoming the new voice of such a beloved and established character in a series like this. Yeah, man. Oh my God. Definitely. It's uh till this day, it's still kind of, you know, new to me. And um, obviously it wasn't as intense as I had, in, you know, envisioned like being it when I first hopped into the uh, virtual table read, everyone was so welcoming and sweet and it was great till this day. Like I said, I still feel a little uh, nervous and there was a table read, my first table read with Mike. I was like so scared and, I was like, oh, no, no, I'm, I got to step into these shoes. But he was a sweet guy as well. And he went back and forth. He was playing other characters and stuff like that, too. So, yeah, man, I just feel like once the show actually comes out is when I really feel like it's real. You know, like the banter between the, or the improv or whatever between me and the these actors is going to be really interesting to see. It's funny that you say that because I, I, said, I don't know how many episodes you guys have actually gotten into already, but there are the any particular like characters or members of the cast that you just had really a lot of fun having scenes with. I think there's a lot of Cleveland and because during the table reads, it hasn't really been Seth. Um, it's been other producers, but for the most part, it's been, you know, when it goes Cleveland and Joe, Patrick Warburton's usually always there. So to hear his voice come through so powerfully through the, the MacBook microphone, like speakers, man, when I'm doing Cleveland, it's like, what the heck is this really happening? Cause he's another character. Everyone in person needs on YouTube. No so doubt. Actual voice. And you know, that that's crazy to me. Oh yeah. That's the real Joe. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so it, it's crazy because it seems like more in the last few years, you, you hear these stories a lot. This is your first major Hollywood role, and it's like a big one. You get to jump right in to something really, really huge. But you've kind of already proven that you're a pretty entertaining guy all on your own. I mean, I think your stream has proved that alone. So, you. you know, that's you kind of writing your own stuff, ad-libbing and things like that. What was it like to actually have a script and have to deliver someone else's words for the first time? Right. Oh, my God. Super intense, but... When it came down to it, it was much easier than trying to um, do it on my own in the sense of I had that that structure there. I studied Mike's performance very closely. So, you know, before I went into the studio, before I go into the studio to this day, I will watch like three or four episodes of the Cleveland show or Family Guy to really get Mike's performance fresh in my mind. So when I go in there, I could put those nuances and little like tweaks and that make Cleveland Cleveland onto the microphone. So um, it's gotten way easier. But at first I was so I was so intimidated by it. 
Talking to Arif Zahir, of course, is the new voice of Cleveland Brown on Family Guy, which is going to premiere on September the 26th on Fox. Now, Arif, you there, like you said, you watch old episodes, Family Guy, Cleveland Show. And are there any particular episodes or scenes with Cleveland where you look back and you go, man, I wish that could have been on that episode. I, mean, I wish that could have been me. <laughs> well, I, I typically... I, I I feel like growing up and watching it, I, in my mind, I thought there was no way, there was no possible way I, I would ever be on Family Guy, let alone be Cleveland Brown. So I think more so watching the clips of like, Broom Girls, the Dynamite, stuff like that. I just feel, I feel like I'm more so not as much wanting to redo it. I mean, to go back in the past and wish it was me, but if we ever have a comeback and I can redo it like my own way or like do it, like, you know, have a little flashback, that'd be really fun to do. That would be so really- that, I guess, boom goes, boom goes the dynamite would be a fun thing to bring back. I love it. I love it. Speaking of bringing things back, one of the things I've always loved about Family Guy over the years is that there's been so many great spoofs that they've done. I mean, Star Wars, Willy Wonka, and, and I mean, the list goes on and on. Is there a particular spoof that you would actually really like to see the show do and be a part of? Honestly, it's, <laughs> I think since I'm already... You know, I do these impersonations on my YouTube channel. Something that's up that alley already. If you did like a Black Panther parody where Cleveland was one, like in Wakanda, or I was like doing like a Black oh Panther parody. Oh my gosh. That would be really fun. <laughs> that would be really, really cool. I wonder how that would go. Cleveland Brown in Wakanda. <laughs> what do you think his role would be in Wakanda? I think that would be, that's that's a very interesting point that you bring up now. Right. Clevemonger instead of Killmonger. <laughs> Clevemonger. Yes. He would try uh, to take over. For sure, right. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, you brought up the Cleveland show. Let's let's talk about it, man. When, when are we getting that revival? When's that happening? When when, when are we finally going to get that, that that thing brought back? And you know, fans want it. Come on. Oh man, no way, not going to happen, man. <laughs> <laughs> you thought that about Family Guy, and yet here we are, Reef. <laughs> well, let's 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 go this way. Let's take it this route. Let's say you get that call, and dream number two comes true, right? Obviously, would you want it to be a little bit, would you like to tweak it a little bit differently than what the original Cleveland show was if you had that opportunity? Or is it something where you'd like to almost like pick up the ball and run with it from where they where they had it going? Yeah, I personally think if they brought it back, I would only do it if Mike was heavily involved and looked like he got, you know, a proportion of everything from it. And he was the writer. And you know what I mean? I just, that's his baby at the end of the day. And I don't want to like take it to a direction where, you know, I feel like he would be comfortable with. So as long as he's the top dog of it, I would love to do that. So I know that you're really excited about family guy where we definitely all are, but let's, let's look ahead a little bit too, because I mean, do you have any other projects in the works that you can actually talk to us about, or is there a particular show or maybe a franchise that you would love to be a part of at some point? Yeah, so other projects, I'm trying to find myself as a musician, as an artist. I have a EP coming out whenever, maybe by the end of this year or 2022, called Venture I'm working on, um, and a bunch of other stuff in that way. I've been auditioning. Um, I have some things that I do with 3 Black Dot, which is a big um, YouTube management company, but we're also doing entertainment. So there's a thing called Gaming While Black. We're pumping out a bunch of content with that. And uh, as a series, I'd love to be a part of. Obviously, what what upcoming actor wouldn't want to be a part of anything that has to do with Marvel right now? Right. <laughs> I love I love Avatar, the James Cameron universe. I love Avatar, the actual animation show as well. Anything, dude. I just love the whole. I mean, anything anything from my childhood, I'd love to be a part of. Let's just say that. Well, I mean, Arif, Netflix is working on some Avatar stuff, and, and I mean, they do listen to the show occasionally. So, guys, I mean, I, I just just call me. I'll get I'll get you in touch with him. <laughs> It'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. That's okay. what we'll do. Uh, Arif, before I let you go, again, you, you kind of you, you got got your start with the stream with the streaming. You played a lot of Call of Duty. Are are you still having time to actually be able to do that? And are there maybe what are the games that you're actually playing and streaming right now? Um, so it has been a much harder trying to balance, you know, playing the games and stuff like that. I do try to put out something at least once or twice a month. So still to still stick to Call of Duty. Um, I would say what I'm playing right now, I just bought Deathloop last night, and I'm probably half an hour in so far, so I'm having fun with that. And I can't wait for, oh my God, Spider-Man 2 and God mm. of War and Wolverine. Man, I'm going to die. I, I hope I live to, to see those games come out, man. It looks like your so, your mind is still blown by the PlayStation reveal that just happened. I screamed, man. I had my girlfriend next to me, and she was like, you're such a nerd. And I was like, I can't help it. I was <laughs> screaming at the top of the well, you're in good company. Oh. You're in good company, Reed, right. for sure. 
<laughs> and you guys, you guys, I can't wait for you to hear this guy on Family Guy for the first time. The show comes back for its 21st, incredibly 21st season on Fox on September the 26th. It's Arif Zahir. Thank you so much, man, for taking the time to talk Thanks. to me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. You have a good one. And it really is hard to believe. I actually had to double check that Family Guy was actually on its 21st season. And it almost kind of feels like a little bit of a new beginning, too, doesn't it? But part of that is because of Arif and his portrayal of Cleveland Brown, which is going to be coming up this Sunday. That is the premiere of the 21st season of Family Guy on Fox. I think you're going to really love what Arif's going to be bringing to the table this season. Again, thanks to Arif Zahir for joining me this week to talk about Family Guy. Up next, there's some interesting nerd news. We're going to jump right into it. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Aaron Pierre from Krypton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. When you saw this name trending, you probably thought, double oh no, it's time for nerd news. And I saw Daniel Craig's name trending, and then I saw 007 trending, and I was like, uh oh, so either this is going to be another delay or it's going to be something really controversial. And I almost didn't talk about this because it's a landmine. But you know what? Here we go. Let's do it. Daniel Craig said in an interview with Radio Times recently that, and I do not want to give you a misleading headline. This is the headline that was going around saying that James Bond should not be played by a woman. That was the headline. That's what got you to click on it, right? Okay. So here is part of what Daniel Craig said, and I'll let you be the judge. He said he was flat out asked about it, and he said the answer to that is very simple. This is the quote now. There should simply be better parts for women and actors of color. Why should a woman play James Bond when there should be a part just as good as James Bond for a woman? And that's the end of where I'm going to give you that quote. Here's the deal. I understand why you might be upset about that because James Bond is an iconic character. There are not nearly enough iconic characters like that for women haven't been for years. And that sucks. That's unfair and that's not cool. But at the same time, Daniel Craig is half right here. I think he's half right. So here's the part I think he's right about. Again, my opinion. He's right that James Bond shouldn't be played by a woman. And don't kill me for saying that because here's the reason I say that and the reason I agree with him on this is that there should be a female James Bond, just not the name James Bond, okay? So the way I see it is, look at Lashana Lynch's character, who is the new 007 in this No Time to Die movie coming up. Okay, and I said this before when I talked about this, this is your chance right now to create an entirely new franchise set within the Bond universe with a new 007. 007 can absolutely be a woman, 100 percent, absolutely no reason that that character can't be. 007 and James Bond are two completely different characters, if you want to look at it that way. James Bond has been 007. 007 is a code name, not a person, a code name. That is, that is the difference that nobody seems to get, is that James Bond was 007. 007 was m just as much of the franchise as James Bond. So if you still use the label of 007 in any future movies, People are still going to know what the hell you're talking about. So it's not like you're starting from scratch. Like I've seen some people talking about, well, you know, if you create it, you're taking a risk on a brand new franchise, blah, blah, blah. No, it's the same franchise. It is the same friggin' franchise with a different person taking the code name. That is all. That is absolutely 100% all it is, is that there's someone else taking the code name of 007 and you're going in a different direction. And quite frankly, after 25 films, some of which were amazing, some of which were good, a couple of which maybe not so much. Isn't it time to just retire James Bond, at least temporarily? I'm not saying forever, at least temporarily. 
Let this new character of Lashana Lynch's, if that's the direction you should choose to go, carry the ball for a little bit. Let Lashana Lynch, you clearly had enough faith in her to give her the 007 moniker and have her play this character. Let her carry this ball and see what happens. And this character of 007 of James Bond has been recast several different times over the years. You could do the same thing with this character should you so choose and do it that way. And you could have any number of women play this role. You could have African-American women. You could have Latin American women. You could absolutely have an LGBTQ plus transgender character of 007. Why not? Why not? You could do that. But James Bond is a character that has been done. And I think when you have a franchise that's been around this long, you want to set a spark. And I think this is your chance for that spark. So I understand why it comes off as offensive what he said. But in the end of the day, it's not only the best thing for this franchise in the future, but it's also the best thing that you could see for finally getting an empowered character like this in this kind of a genre for a woman in a big highlighted way in a big highlighted franchise like this. So I think this is a chance to do something special. Now, the only thing I kind of disagree with him on is saying that the the part where he says should be better parts for actors of any actors of color. And he, yes, he's right about that statement on its surface. There should be. However, there is no reason, absolutely no reason, why a person of color can't play James Bond. Absolutely no reason whatsoever. That, that, that to me is, and the producers have said this, said as much in the, in the past, in past interviews. So that, I think, is an easy one, right? You could absolutely have, say, you know, Idris Elba is the hot name. For, for James Bond, right? You could easily have Idris Elba play James Bond. Why not? What would make you not want to see Idris Elba as James Bond or another person of color for that matter? Take your pick. If you have a favorite actor, take your pick and why couldn't that person play James Bond, right? I don't think we're like we'd want to see Will Smith play James Bond, for example. I don't think that that would necessarily make sense. But there are certainly plenty of good names of people of color, they could play that role. And why isn't, why wouldn't that be acceptable? I think it it 100% is acceptable and can be done again, though. I think the James Bond character is played. It is played and it's been played well by Daniel Craig, by the way, Daniel Craig's done a great job and it is a good way to ride off into the sunset for him. But I think with him should go the character for a while. Let's put this character to rest. Let's see what we can do with a fresh 007 franchise and see what we and see where things go from there. If it doesn't work out five years, ten years from now, however long that this new franchise will actually be given a chance, if that's what they decide to do, bring back James Bond. Why not? Do that. You could reboot the whole thing. You've done it before. You could do it again. There's nothing stopping you from doing that in the future. But I think if you do that now, if you just continue to carry on the James Bond movies after 25 films and this big to-do, I think that's a mistake. I, I personally think that's a mistake, so I really hope that they decide to go ahead and go a completely different route and surprise me by being right on this. Here's a movie that I think is already drumming up controversy and it hasn't even shot a frame yet. And that is that the Super Mario Brothers, the movie from Illumination and Universal. It's going to be coming out. Now we know on December 21st, 2022, fingers crossed on that. Well, Nintendo Direct gave us not only that that information, but the cast information on this as well. I'm just going to go through these really quickly, and then I'll talk about it. We've got Chris Pratt, who's going to be the voice of Mario. Anna Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach. Charlie Day as Luigi. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Jack Black as Bowser. Fred Armisen as Cranky Kong, interesting. Kevin Michael Richardson is going to be Kamek and Sebastian Maniscalco 
as Spike. And that's a name I always seem to have trouble pronouncing. So hopefully I got that right. So no plot details or anything like that. But I think we automatically have to hit the rewind button and talk about Chris Pratt. Okay? You wanted a name. Totally understand that. I do think that this is a little bit of a smack in the face to Charles Marnett, who has done a fantastic job in that role for many, many, many years and should have just been the automatic choice for this. Now, I will say that if you go on the IMDb page for this movie, that's that's and there's no information on, you know, any more members of the cast other than what I just told you. But Martinette is listed in the credits as being a part of the cast. So what role is that going to be? And, and what kind of a part is he going to play? Who knows? If any, it could just be an honorable mention type thing. But you have to be a little upset, right? Because this is another example of, and you heard Jennifer Hale talk about this. When we were talking about What the Vox and, and my interview with her not too long ago, this happens all too often. When you have voice actors who have been the iconic voices of certain roles, and then once you make the big budget movie, you get they get shoved aside for a name like Chris Pratt. None of this is Chris Pratt's fault, by the way. Chris Pratt's just a guy that was either approached to or auditioned for a role and got it. Not Chris Pratt's fault at all. And I like Chris Pratt. At the same time, I don't know that he's the right thing, for, right voice for this. Are we going to see an Italian accent from Chris Pratt? I, I'm kind of leaning towards I don't think so. I don't think we are. I'm curious to see if we are because I think that could be interesting. But if Mario opens his mouth in this first trailer for this movie and an Italian accent doesn't come out, there's going to be... You thought the whole Sonic thing was bad when that first Sonic trailer came out and people freaked out because the look was terrible? If Mario opens his mouth and an Italian accent doesn't come out in this first trailer, I don't care who's making this movie, there will be hell to pay because people will not have it. I can tell you that right now. So I I tread lightly here, guys. That's all I'm saying. Tread very, very lightly. Be very, very careful. Of course I'm excited for this movie. I want a Super Mario Brothers animated movie. It's been far too long for this, for this to be done. So I can't wait for this. I know my 7-year-old can't wait for this as well. I'm just holding out hope, crossing my fingers that this thing is good. So we'll have to just, I mean, we'll just really have to see what happens. Really quickly, I want to get to some trailers that came out this week. I know what you did last summer. The series adaptation from Amazon Prime Video and Amazon Studios and Sony Television, by the way, is going to be coming out on October the 15th. We finally got our trailer. The first four episodes going to be dropping on that date, by the way. Yes, this is based on the Lois Duncan novel from 1973, also, which is what the movie was based on. And you see, it's it's basically, it's pretty cut and dry from what you see. And it's what you'd expect, right? You know, you got the, the kids that were partying. You know, you have that accident and you, you kind of ditch the body and then you kind of go from there. And then this, the trailer really sets the tone of basically everyone's guilty. Everyone's a suspect for a different reason. And you, it's the whole you try to find out who the killer is, right? And I've seen some comments on social media and on YouTube and things like that saying, you know, hey... Where's the where's the hook killer? That was one of the best things about that original movie. Well, first of all, you're not making the movie again. That's not what's happening. You're giving you're you're having a different adaptation. That's the whole point of doing it this way is to do something a little bit different. Just because you didn't see a hook in the trailer either, by the way, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And this is a killer that could use all kinds of implements, right? Maybe the hook will be one of them. Maybe that'll be a cool Easter egg in one of the episodes. Or something like that, right? But I think it's going to be interesting because you're adding a layer of technology to this to this series that didn't exist, not only in the novel, but in the movies as well. So when, once you're adding cell phones and all this stuff and, and videos and social media and things like that, I'm curious to see how that's going to affect an adaptation like this and how they use that to go in a different direction. So that's my most intriguing thing about this series. And and again, this is Amazon trying to find a footing in the kind of young adult, 
I mean, a little bit older young adult in this sense, but young adult genre that, that's been kind of hit or miss for Amazon. But this one, I think, has a chance to be hugely popular and very, very good and talked about quite a bit if done correctly. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do with this on October the 15th. Going the more family route, it actually looks pretty spooky, really. Muppets Haunted Mansion, which is coming to Disney Plus on October the 8th. Of course, you've got the great Gonzo and Pepe, who are going to try to survive the night in the Haunted Mansion, which, of course, is based on the Disney attraction. And, you know, you see all this, you know, reality-bending type stuff. It's filled with spirits. You've got Muppets everywhere playing different roles, and you have that classic Muppets humor that you're used to from Muppet movies, like this one, which I think is really, really neat. You've got Miss Piggy as, as the, the, the woman of the crystal ball sort of thing. You've got Fozzie who's playing this, you know, like the, the ghostly comedian making bad jokes on it, which I love. And of course, you've got some live action characters in there as well, just like any other Muppet movie. But this just, just seems like a really fun, like a Halloween tradition type movie that I think that we need more of those. We have a ton of Christmas movies, thanks Hallmark, for and, and all this other stuff. Let's get more Halloween movies that we can enjoy as a family from year to year. There's just not enough of that, and I really hope that Disney Plus has one of those with Muppets Haunted Mansion. And I really, really been looking forward to this ever since it was announced, too. So I've got high hopes for this. And really quickly, I also wanted to talk about Finch, which is starring Tom Hanks, the movie that's going to be coming out on Apple TV Plus on November the 5th, and it's basically a, yes, it is a post-apocalyptic story, but it's also got that feel-good element that you really look for when you see Tom Hanks nowadays. He basically, he's he's alone in the world, and then he finds a dog, and and it's like love at first sight sort of thing, right? It's a lot better than finding a volleyball. So, you know, you finally find an, an amazing companion to live in a post-apocalyptic world with, and then he decides to build a robot, too. robot's name is Jeff, it seems like, by the way. And then you turn into the whole, okay, there's a storm coming, got to escape from it, got to head to the mountains. And that's kind of where the journey begins because there's challenges along the way. Apparently there's other humans that have survived as well that they're going to encounter. Don't really see that in the trailer, but you see some of the challenges, but also some of the heartfelt moments and some of the fun that you'll see in this movie as well. So it's post-apocalyptic, it's sci-fi, but it's like a feel-good type thing as well that's probably going to gut punch you at some point, which usually is something that Disney would do, but it seems like Apple TV Plus is going to set us up for this this time. But, I mean, this is... You don't see Tom Hanks in roles like this very often as far with a sci-fi twist to him anyway. So I think this is going to be really, really cool. I can't wait to see Finch on November the 5th from Apple TV Plus. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I want to thank the cast of Goliath, and Amazon for joining me this week to talk about that show. Also, Arif Zahir for joining me to talk about playing Cleveland Brown on Family Guy and a bunch of different stuff as well. You want to find out more about us? Go to social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Also, follow along on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. And make sure you're subscribing to the show, too, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.